how does a private lender price loans? This is a tricky topic to cover, but Barrett Clayton of Limo and Capital gave me a crash course. Buckle up. Securitization, macroeconomics, yield curve, tigers and lions and bears, oh my. I'm Dalton Elliott. This is the Real Estate of Things podcast. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate of Things podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Elliott. I'm joined today by a dear colleague and dear friend, Barrett Clayton. Barrett is the director of, uh, what are you, director of secondary markets at Lima One Capital. Very lofty title. You have. That's right. Yeah. It sounds like I'm very important. Very, the, the more words in the title, the more important the person. So you beat me out on that today. I'm a simple boy. But uh, Barrett, thank you for carving out time to chat with me. I'm going to pick your brain for the next little bit. And I think the best way to kick this off is tell me about you. You've, you like me, we were chatting about this the other day. Uh, right now we're in June, 2022. This is seven years of me being at Lima One Capital. Uh, I started here six weeks after I graduated college and you're not a terribly different story, right? You're, you're, uh, yeah. So talk to me about how you Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. I'm coming up seven years in the company as well this fall. Um, joined in 2015. Uh, really kind of my first real job out of college as well. Um, started in our rental 30 underwriting team, similar to you as well. Uh, I spent a little bit more time in there than, than you did, I think. Um, but yeah, worked, uh, in rental 30 underwriting for a few years, uh, then got the opportunity, um, to move over to secondary markets, capital markets, in 2017 and have been in this role ever since. Yeah. And and so much has happened for us as a company in that time and our capital relationships. And it just That's right. as you know, a lot of waters to navigate, right? Like as I think about it now, like we're you and I young, right? Like I'm 29. How old are you? 29. 29. Turn turn 30 in a few days. There you go. You could be old man Barrett walking around here. Uh but you think about so much wildness has happened. Like you were in the capital markets world when COVID hit. And I know that was a, that was a, tr- a roller coaster ride. And, uh, us at Lima One Capital being, you know, fully acquired by MFA publicly traded REIT. Like you've, you've, and so early in our careers to be able to be part of, uh, kind of these massive moving beasts is, is such a cool thing. And so all that to say, like, yeah, it, it has been. It's been a blessing for sure and, and really cool to see. So, you know, I, I've we've seen the company grow so much. When I started in capital markets, we were probably funding $20 million a month. And now we're, you know, upwards of $200 million up to $300 million a month. And, and um, so it's been really, really cool to see so much has changed. Um, you know, I, I, I credit a lot to to um, my, my mentor here who was had you know 40 years of experience and really took me under his wing and, and helped me you know grow a lot and, and learn a lot of of how how to structure deals and and, and different ways of financing our loans and so it, it's been really cool yeah shout out to Trez Moore he's yeah, uh, Trez. A, a beacon of the mortgage industry I think he created the mortgage so all right we uh we will not 
continue down memory lane too much. I, although I want to, uh, let's talk about how private lenders price, right? So a constant, it's a constant. Now I'm on the sales side and our inside sales retail team, our broker team, outside sales, like constantly pricing. That's a major factor in every single conversation, every single relationship. And at lenders are, there are similarities, but like it's such a mixed bag on how does a private lender price their product, right? It's not just one person saying, ah, let's move it up. Let's move it down. You have major macroeconomic factors that come into play all the way down to like our, you know, uh, corporate philosophy on credit risk and pricing. So if I asked you the question, how does a private lender price its loans? How do they come up with pricing? Explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old. How would you take a stab at that from a very high level? I know it's a big question. Boil the ocean for me. Yeah. So the first and foremost, how a private lender would price would totally be dictated on what their financing strategy is and their cost of capital, right? And so in our industry specifically, you've got, you know, established lenders who have, you know, been around for 10, 15 years. And then there's also still a lot of, you know, mom and pop hard money guys who are, you know, at 12, 13%, you know, interest rate for a fix and flip loan, right? So um, it, it all really depends on, your financing structure and your cost of capital and how you would price. And then also um, clearly the product type here at Lima one, you know, we've been, I've been blessed to see all the different product types that we offer. Right. So, uh, you know, value add multifamily loans different than, uh, you know, mom and pop single asset rental loans. So, so the, those all get you know treated differently, but, but on a high level, like what, what's the private lender doing? Are they, um, holding all their loans in cash, right? And, and you know, just taking in that coupon, you know, that's going to be very expensive. Are they they're trading their loans to a, a third party, right? And if, if they're doing that, what's that third party doing with it? Are they, are they financing it with uh, warehouse lines? Are they securitizing, right? Um, and, and then, um, yeah, ultimately, like, as a lender, what, what are you doing with those loans is going to be, you know, kind of how you, you price, um, price your, your book. Yeah. And looking at, I think of it in three buckets, you're like selling loan, whole loans, you're holding whole loans or your, you know, like securitization is a kind of another method to move stuff off your balance sheet. Um, of those three, like, is there a, um, just from like where you sit philosophically, not necessarily through the lens of your job, but just philosophically, what what are your thoughts on each of those and kind of pros, cons? Are there any kind of glaring big pros or cons with those? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're funding, you know, everything and holding it on balance sheet, if you're financing it or, or not, right. So if you're not, you can, kind of do whatever you want from a credit standpoint, whatever you're comfortable with, you know, if, if you're good going to hundred percent LTC, no appraisal, you know, you can do that. Right. And, and it's going to be expensive for you to hold it. Um, if, 
you know, depending on the partners you work with, right? Uh, if you're whole loan trading, what are they doing with it, right? So, so you know, if if they're financing it with warehouse lines, that's that's great. You can, you know, you can get your coupons lower, but but what are they going to allow, right? So, like the more the more people have their hands in in, in their in the cookie jar, right? Like the, the, the more restricted you kind of get from a, a credit standpoint, but in turn that allows you to get typically a lot more competitive with your pricing. Um, you know, given the institutions that you may or may not be working with, right. All the way up into, you know, an S and P rated securitization that, that, you know, is going to have loads of constraints of what you can or cannot put in that, what you have to do versus, you know, what may not may or may not make a ton of sense from a you know operation standpoint, but you know check the box exercise. You're, you might you're going to get great execution on that, uh, depending on the market, of of course. Uh, you know right now, particularly um, with the interest rate environment, markets have been a little um, shakier, a little wavier than normal, right? But but high level. That that's how I would answer that question. Yeah, and then the last few years really you think leading up to covid and through covid like securitization in this space has increased i think drastically is that fair yeah and and what's you know i think the driver of that is more institutional level involvement in this space um but how has how does that whenever a company like you know Lehman capital or abc lending like whenever a company dips their toe in the water of securitizing loans and because you can't, you don't just go out and say, hey, we're going to securitize. If you're doing 20 million a month, you're like, hey, we're going to securitize $20 million worth of loans, right? You know, like these are, these are much larger tranches. Uh, it's like, what is, what does that look like? And how over the last 12 months has that changed? I know that the market uh, is very different, like fall of last year compared to, you know, as we sit uh, in June of 2022. So what's the evolution of that look like as well? Yeah, so you know we've been in uh, post-COVID artificially low interest rates for the past two years, which was you know really fun from a lender's perspective, and I think fun for for everyone in our space, right? I I know that our you know rental borrowers love being able to get those you know mid to low fours on, on their portfolios, right? And that's that's awesome, but you know we haven't operated in a space like that or in a rate environment like that ever. And so, you know, doing that for two years, it was great. We originated a lot of loans and, and a lot of people did. Right. And, and as we've seen the, the rate spike go up, um, you know, there, there's a lot of loans out there that, that are lower coupons and people need to, to do something with them. Right. And, and so it, it's been, um, it, it, it's been really interesting to see kind of how things have changed and kind of, you know, the, the pressure to, 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 to do stuff with, with all of those loans, the, the, the inventory in our space in the securitization market's been now very favorable for, for bond buyers, right? Because there's all these loans out there that, that lenders need to do so, do something with. And so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's gone from, uh, you know, I'd say a, a lender's market more to, I, I guess, a investors or, or bond, bond buyers market for sure. 
Yeah, and then another shift, like you talked about the rate environment, right? Like we had a couple years of, for investors, for lenders, like everybody, it was kind of shooting fish in a barrel. Um, that low rate environment was just a positive for everybody. And um, yeah, one thing I keep reminding myself is like, we are still at pretty close to historically low rates. And like what you mentioned, you mentioned you and I both started as rental 30 underwriters. And I remember I was underwriting 30 year fixed debt for rental rental portfolios, eight and a half, close to 9%. And people were People were doing it. We were growing. We were growing as a company. That department was exploding. People were absolutely happy um, to do that. Now we'll have people showing up, burning down the building if we send out that. But all that said, like we're still, uh, it it it, uh, it benefits everyone to keep that perspective of yeah, rates have gone up, but uh, comparatively, still pretty low. That's that's a really good point. I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind for a real estate investor, right? So, so someone who's been more seasoned and has been investing in, in real estate for 10, 15 years, they've, they're accustomed to finance. They, they've seen financing their, their rental portfolios at 7, 8%. They're, they're used to that, right? And so, you know, the, the environment that we have been in, I, I think that it, it was, you know, sort of like crack for those guys, right? To get rental rates. I mean, it seemed like free money to them, right? So so what I would say to, you know, a, a newer real estate investor who maybe only been doing that in this environment over the last two years that we're still at a place where rates are historically low for, for our space. And, and to, to maybe not be scared of that or diving into to, to getting a, a 30-year, you know, mortgage now is, because they've been used to seeing these, you know, crazy low rates. Like, oh wow, like th- this money is really expensive. Well, it's really not, um, you know, from the, the macro perspective of where our business and, and where our industry has been, um, oh, you know, as a whole. Yeah, super fair. And thinking back to it was like February, um, whenever rates started to move, like whenever we. Uh, as an industry, not us as a company, but like we as a mortgage industry, uh, rates jumped right compared to where they were, and they moved very quickly, uh, insanely quickly, to where uh, you know no nobody in this space or outside of the space was anticipating rate movement like that in such a short window. I, I don't think I, I hadn't heard any expectation about jumps like that, and you had. Uh, so, so talk a little bit about like what happened February, March, and now it's now it's a little more of a uh, s- stabilized movement, if that makes any sense. But it was very, uh, it was fast there for a minute. So, what in the world happened, and why did you keep telling me that everything was getting more expensive, and us on the fourth floor had to go tell all the clients that hey, money's getting more expensive, Barrett? Why did you do that to us? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, and I think if if we knew the answer to that back in in January, we would have been been able to make a lot of money. Um, but so you know, we were all anticipating rates were going to increase, right? Everyone, the Fed had made that very, very, very clear. Um, we were expecting it. We we 
think everyone thought that it would happen in a smoother, you know, smoother way, or I guess slower, right? And, um, you know, Fed indicated they're going to move up rates. And I think that people started pricing in interest rate increases that haven't happened yet. And so um, it, the market just got a little, little nervous, a little nervy. And, 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 you know, we saw it spike and we've seen it kind of stable out over the last two months, right? People have kind of gotten, you know, accustomed to where rates are at, which are similar to where they were, you know, three years ago. But, you know, with that being said, I, I think that that initial wave was really tough, but um, these next couple of months, it should be a little bit smoother is what I would anticipate. Um, and, you know, if you were telling me to, to read the tea leaves, tea leaves, I would tell you that rates are going to continue to go up. The Fed's going to move interest rates um, a few more times this year, um, if, if I were to guess. Um, and so, you know, another reason from a real estate investor perspective to continue to get deals in now rather than later. Yeah. Well, sounds right. I want to pick your brain a little bit about differences between fix and flip and rental pricing, right? Because we'll take, we'll take our example here because you, you and I knew this example best February, March rental rates. We were increasing them um, in pretty quick succession. Uh, fix and flip. We didn't touch fix and flip rates. I don't think we touched them in February. I don't think we touched them in March. Maybe it was early April, the first time that we tweaked the knob on fix and flip pricing a little bit. And the movement there has been materially less volatile than uh, movement in the rental uh, world. So what what drives the difference between uh, what what is the difference between pricing? You know, is the difference in fix and flip and rental pricing, uh, let's call it like short-term rehab, short-term construction loans versus long-term rental loans. Uh, we started, you know, the industry had pricing movement upward on rental loans in February and March. Uh, but using the example that you and I both know at Lehman Capital, I don't think we touched short-term product rates until maybe the beginning of April. So why in the world is that? What are the differences there that make those two products operate um, so so differently from a pricing standpoint? Yeah, sure. So um, a few major components. I think the first one you sort of touched on is, is duration, right? So what I mean by that is the, the length of the loan. So um, your your rental loan, your, your long-term mortgage, right? It's going to be out there for potentially 30 years, right? And, and um, your fix and flip loan, uh, short term, you're from a lender's perspective, you're hoping that you'll hold that from for eight, 12 months, right? And, and have the bar be successful and, and get out of that, right? And so um, long-term rates moved a lot quicker than, than short-term rates. Um, and, and so the, 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 the spread between the two year and 10 year treasury got pretty flat there. And so that's why we were, you know, kind of forced to, to move those rates quicker. 
holistically the differences as well just kind of like keep in mind right your your credit profile between those two are, are pretty different right on kind of the risk you're willing to take um typically you know those fix and flip loans are priced a little higher than, than the rental loans you know because some of that exists right the there's some unknown with that project versus you know cash flowing performing rental property is you know a relatively safe asset especially as as we've matured as an industry and kind of seen that come to fruition which you know is why you know we've seen the securitization market you know blow up in in, in rental 30 because and by blow up i really just mean like grow so much because the the asset has is one of the strongest performing assets that that you know an investor can own and and has been very safe and performed well yeah that makes sense barrett you're a busy man i'm gonna let you get back to it I can't thank you enough for joining. This was fun. It was a good crash course in high-level pricing from a private lender standpoint. We dove into some examples. Uh, wealth of knowledge. We're going to have you back here again, and we're going to hold you to the concept that it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Sure, rates are going to go up, but smooth sailing. I finally got you on video and audio recorded. I don't think... I, I... No, no, it's exactly smooth sailing, but but hopefully it won't be as quick. The the rate increases won't be as as uh, as, as spiky as they were. Nah, earlier, you can't so. you can't walk it back now. Sorry, it's already recorded. But no, <laughs> thanks again, Barrett. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate you sitting down with me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, well, all. Thanks, thanks everybody for listening. Take care. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.